The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Everybody, welcome to the Pick Six Podcast, CBS Sports Daily NFL Podcast. Eight podcasts a week we deliver for you, even when it's a holiday. Sometimes in the holidays we get more cranked up. This time last year, jumped on a podcast on Christmas Eve with my. Will, kids. are you the one doing the cranking though? What are you talking about? Um. I was just explaining how I jumped on a podcast with my good friend Brady Quinn, the same person who just interrupted me about cranking. We don't crank around here, okay? We yank. No cranking. <laughs> Ryan Wilson also on the podcast. It's the Tuesday Brady Quinn football show. <clears throat> we don't have time for air horns. We got to get down to business. We got to preview Thanksgiving games. We're going to make picks for the three Thanksgiving games, including, of course, the Bills at Cowboys on CBS. 4.30. Make sure and tune in from 4 to 4.25 for the NFL today. You can watch our buddy Jason Lockenfora. He'll be on that. Also, while you're feeling in a giving mood during the holidays, go ahead and jump on the um, on the little review thing on your Apple Podcast app. We're trying to make a push for uh, – we're going to try to hit a 1,000 – ratings on this podcast before uh before thanksgiving so if you if, if you're feeling generous if you love the podcast if you want to give back to to me i guess which i don't know why you want to do that but I'll, I'll take it uh hit that five star and you don't have to write a review just hit the five star it'll say it's submitted and we're trying to push through it and then my bosses will be like oh you did a great job hey, yeah everybody you're not fired here's a christmas present it's an amazon gift card for 10 bucks enjoy let's get to the games Unless you have some Thanksgiving football memories, Brady and Ryan. Ryan, how are you, buddy? I'm good. Thank you for asking. Happy Thanksgiving to all of you. Hey, what are you guys' plans for Thanksgiving? Because I'm curious what Ryan and Will are up to. I will be uh, at home watching football because it's actually sort of a busy day for for Brinson and I in terms of our job, watching football. Um, my relatives live uh, – my in-laws live an hour away. My in-laws are actually awesome people. And I love spending time with them, so unfortunately I will not be able to do that. So I will be at home. Hanging out with the fam and, uh, again, spending my evening with Will Brinson, Brady. So looking forward to that. <laughs> Sounds like uh, a terrible Thanksgiving. <laughs> I am not thankful. Usually I drive seven total hours to three different cities in the state of North Carolina. Well, four cities technically, including my own, uh, over the span of three days. However, my father-in-law is coming here for the NC State Carolina game. Yes, Brady, I know it's a crappy game. No, I don't care what you think um, on Saturday, so we don't have to go visit him. We will also not be going to my parents for oysters on Thanksgiving Day uh, because the Brinson compound is having a redo in the kitchen there. So instead, uh, we're just going to my in-laws for Wednesday and Thursday. And I'll be back here spending my Thanksgiving night with Ryan. And then I'll be buying tailgate supplies for the tailgate that I'm in charge of at the State Carolina game. 7 p.m. kickoff. If you're expecting to see me up bright and early on Sunday morning, don't. By the uh, way, just, break, just me... bring a lot of toughies, by the way. That's the only thing you need. That and apparently a lot of oysters. Gosh, I wish I could have said I grew up eating a lot of oysters when I was young. Oh, it gets worse. So two things I learned yesterday talking to Brinson about Thanksgiving. He has two Thanksgiving meals, a big lunch and then a big dinner. And this Thanksgiving, if I understood him correctly, he's spending the morning having brunch slash lunch, uh, Brady, at the country club. So that's how Brinson rolls. 
That's none of that surprises me. And Will, I love you for it. I just want you to know that I love you for that. I hope you're unapologetic about the fact that you live a very glamorous life. Okay. And look, you're the you're the most white collar. No, you're the most. I'm the most blue collar, white collar guy. You know, you're the most white collar, blue guy, blue collar guy. <laughs> You know, let's just move past whatever that was. The only reason what? I'm asking is because I'll actually be flying because I actually have to work. I won't get anything close to a Thanksgiving dinner. I think I'm on a flight by 11 on Thanksgiving Day. So not only will I be traveling, but I'm probably going to get some like rubber chicken or rubber turkey at some point through a production meeting dinner or something that night in, in uh, Ann Arbor, Michigan. So we'll see how that goes. But uh, yeah, unfortunately, which that's the norm. You know, when you play football, I think dating back to like my sophomore year of high school was the only time. I ever had the opportunity to actually spend Thanksgiving with my family. Cause the, after that, we were playing the state playoffs in Ohio. And then, you know, you're always playing college football, NFL, same thing. So it, you kind of give up, you kind of sacrifice Thanksgiving when you're, you know, playing football. Yeah. Not all heroes wear capes. You know what they say? Well, you guys uh, are working. You guys know what I'm talking about. You're at the mercy of that football schedule, man. Sure. At least you got to be like the cool quarterback guy. We're like the nerdy bloggers who get, you know, accused of like bagging on some or eating oysters on, on Thanksgiving. Yeah. Uh, hey, uh, what do you think is going to happen in that Michigan-Ohio State game? I think Ohio State is going to continue to win. Uh, it could be closer than people think, but, I mean, their offensive line has struggled kind of of late, about six sacks the past couple weeks. That's really been one of the things that's hurt Michigan over the course of the years. Um, they give up almost four sacks a game. And obviously there's this guy named Chase Young I know Ryan's very familiar with. I think you're familiar with him too. Uh, he's a game wrecker. He's there. So I just I don't think Michigan has – the talent or the ability to hang with Ohio State as good as they are, the one limiting factor will be the weather. If the weather ends up being, you know, cold, windy, rainy, that kind of thing, uh, maybe that limits some of the offensive production and Michigan kind of maybe hang close, capitalize off some turnovers that Ohio State had last week, but I don't necessarily see that happening. I think they'll probably end up covering right now. It's a nine and a half point spread. I'd say they probably win by 10. Oh, I, uh, I like the, uh, I like that. I like Ohio State. I also like the under 52. The under 52 is already down to like 50. That's probably weather related. I uh, still like the under there. I just don't think they'll score a bunch. And um, we'll talk more college football after we get through the Thanksgiving games when we do our typical uh, weekly draft coverage. First of all, let's get to Bills at Cowboys. The Cowboys minus six and a half. The over under is 45. Worth noting here. Jerry Jones. Now, Brady, you should have to play along. It's my Jerry Jones impersonation. It's what I do. I like to Jerry. Jerry Jones. Jerry Jones. Uh, Jerry came out on 105.3 The Fan in Dallas and was asked about uh, Jason Garrett's status and his thoughts on Jason Garrett. He said, when you're a general manager, which I am, those coaches out there, my ultimate decision. It's, it's very much within my realm of purview, if you will, to not only be standing there as an owner, but be standing there as a general manager who put the staff there to begin with. People seem to think it's particularly harsh to have criticism, and they think we look at the other side of the field and call a job well done. That might mean there's extraordinary criticism of the job you've done on the other side of the field. That doesn't mean anything. I don't know what he said, but I do kind of know what he said. He's allowed to criticize Jason Garrett, which is what he did. Now, if you listen to the whole interview, which I did on Tuesday morning, you understood that surprisingly, Jason Garrett wasn't getting flack from his boss, Brady, for not going for it on fourth down. He was getting flack for being unprepared for the conditions in Foxborough. That's basically what, what Jerry Jones is mad about. I was really surprised. He doesn't care if Jason Garrett uses analytics or goes for it on fourth down. Any thoughts to that and, and to whether Jason Garrett survives the season? Yeah, I mean, you, you can't make it rain in Dallas, can you? I mean, I'm not really sure how you go about preparing. What do you pull the fire alarm in, in their indoor facility and try to get it to rain a little bit? Um, you know, like, as a former player, 
uh, especially when you had a week of good weather and you knew that the forecast was going to show to be either rainy weather, uh, either at your stadium or wherever you're going, what they do is they take the footballs out and they'd have a bucket of water. And before practice would even start, they'd have the center. They basically just dunk the football in the water and they'd have the center work on quarterback center exchange doing that. And then you go through your individual drills. Same thing. They keep wetting the football, wetting the football, basically to the point where the things become waterlogged and they're ruined. And, and the worst part about that is it's so unrealistic because you've got officials who are going to have towels. If you're playing at home, obviously you have yeah 24 footballs you prepare for the game, but you've got all the equipment you need to wipe them all off. If you're playing away, you still have 24 footballs and a bunch of towels preparing for that. So it, it, it kind of make a big deal about the conditions. The thing about the conditions is it usually is going to impact, obviously, not only ball security and somewhat to some degree performance, but really the decision-making. Because you have to make a decision when it's raining and it's windy out there whether or not you're choosing to keep the game plan you have, which probably, if you're the Dallas Cowboys, has a fair amount of throwing the football, or if you're going to hunker down and say, we don't necessarily trust our ability to execute in that weather, we're just going to have to run the football, right? So it comes down on that sort of decision-making, and I guess in that instance, like it probably played a factor, but uh, I think it still had a little bit to do with the fourth and seven. Because to me, Jerry Jones is that type of guy. Jerry Jones is the type of guy when he says coming into the season, no, 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 I want Jason Garrett to play for his future, to play for his contract. You know, they haven't signed Dak Prescott either. Did they kind of want to see this sort of year from Dak Prescott under this sort of pressure, under these conditions? Dak Prescott's delivering. Jason Garrett. Not so much. And I don't, you know, maybe he wants to apply analytics, maybe not. I think in this case, he wanted to see Jason Garrett go for it on fourth and seven. He wanted to see them try to convert there and see if they had an opportunity to get a touchdown and maybe even go for two and try to win the game right then and there. I think that's the type of guy Jerry Jones is. And the problem is, too often times he's seen that Jason Garrett isn't that kind of guy. Mm. No, that's right. Um, oh, Brinson, you want to go ahead? I yeah, I was going to say without rehashing too much of what what happened in you know because we already talked about that several times, Ryan. I was going to say, what do you think about this game against the Bills? We mentioned it on our YouTube exclusive uh, that we look at early lines, but do you are you surprised that the lines actually gone down? It was Cowboys minus seven, now six and a half. Um, the over under forty five. What do you think about this matchup between these two teams? Yeah, look, everyone, we always talk about this, you know, running game, um, you know, defense, they travel and, you know, Dallas is a different team at home. So I think that's one of the reasons why uh, I kind of hate looking at the spread in this game right now. I'm curious which way uh, the money's going to bring it down because we could see a performance from Dallas that where I think we're accustomed to seeing them play at home. Now there's been examples of that, that go against that this year. Green Bay in particular uh, is one that kind of sticks out where if Buffalo could get off to a fast start, they could really take advantage of, of a Dallas team that might be looking their wounds or maybe, um, you know, concerned about their coaches, um, you know, job security at this point. So I, I don't think that's going to be the case. I think Dallas will be fine. Uh, it should be a low scoring game. So I like the under at this point, but that spread's still kind of big for me to want to, you know, pick one way or another. I think I'd want to see if it could, you know, maybe creep down into the five and a half kind of range. Then I feel more confident at that point, maybe taking Dallas to win by a touchdown, um, or, or, or potentially more, whereas, you know, maybe even lower than that. But, you know, right now I just, I know, I know we're kind of close to that number, but I still needed to see it tick down a little bit lower, uh, at least so I think a touchdown wins it. Cause I do think Dallas will be able to play well enough, uh, in this game defensively, uh, to, to, to limit Josh Allen, probably get a turnover and maybe limit some of that rushing attack with Devin Singletary. He's been really good this year. Yeah, here's the thing. I think Josh Allen has, has actually played better as the season's progressed. 
And, and that's obviously good news. The defense has been up and down. But uh, this is what I always come back to. It's Sean McDermott in this case versus Jason Garrett. And Brady sort of touched on the issues with Jason Garrett. I'm not sure why Jerry Jones is suddenly surprised that Jason Garrett's not really good at his job. I mean, that's been the case pretty much since day one, and he is incredibly conservative. And my concern is late in this game, there's going to be a fourth and seven, for example, and Jason Garrett's going to punt. And Jason Garrett was asked about this on the radio, and he said, yeah, I don't have a fourth and seven. I don't feel comfortable going for it in fourth and seven. Here's the problem. They had a second and seven and a third and seven, and they ran plays that left him with a fourth and seven. Clearly, you should understand that at some point late in the game, you may have to go for it on fourth down and run plays previous to that fourth down to get you in position to convert. So it's like he's not even paying attention out there. I know he went to Princeton. This is a horrible look for Princeton, by the way. Uh, so if they lose this game, I'd fire J- uh, Jason Garrett right away. I think they're going to win because Dak Prescott's so good and, and the office playmakers around him. But it could come down to coaching decisions. And historically, in the Jason Garrett era, those, those coaching decisions have been terrible. And Debo put this in our rundown. The Cowboys this season against teams over 500, 0 and 4. And the Bills are a surprise team, probably going to make the playoffs, Brinson. Yeah, I mean, it would take a pretty big collapse. Although I would say that if the Bills are going to collapse, this would be where they start to collapse. If you look at their schedule, I mean, this is a tough game. Dallas is, you know, they're, it's a short week. They're at home. It doesn't feel like a Thursday night football or a Thursday football game, you know, TNF game, because it's Thanksgiving, it's a tradition, it's holidays. We're used to watching the football around this time of the year, but it is a short week. It is a TNF game, technically, you know, and um, when you look at the Bills schedule, they're at the Cowboys, Ravens at home, at the Steelers, at the Patriots before closing against the Jets. This is not a high scoring offense. It is a good defense, but. If you look at them from a sort of a breakdown perspective, they're 26 against the run by DVOA, and they've given up the fourth most explosive plays in the rushing game in terms of defense. Um, you know, they are giving up 4.4 yards per carry and 104.4 yards per game. You can beat them by running the ball. You know, I just curious how Kellen Moore approaches this. I mean, it would make a lot of sense. I think that this is a Jason Garrett meat and potatoes game, Brady, where he just feeds the ball to Zeke Elliott. They run the ball a ton. I could still see Josh Allen connect with John Brown a couple of times deep maybe, and you see a bunch of points in this game. Wouldn't be surprised if it went over. I I tend to lean that way, but I kind of like Dallas in this spot. I think they can get up and that puts the Bills in a really bad position having to throw a ton while playing from behind. Wouldn't also wouldn't be surprised for a Cole Beasley revenge game touchdown. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, that's one of the matchups. I'm curious to see how they're going to utilize him. He's kind of a guy they like to use him, you know, move the sticks, short intermediate routes. Um, and he knows that defense well. So I'm sure he's going to have some, you know, insider information, uh, for this Buffalo Bills offense and for Brian Dable, their offensive coordinator. John Brown has picked up his level of play at times. He kind of flashes as not necessarily a number one wide receiver, but definitely a solid number two. And so I am most curious to see how those guys are going to match up with the secondary for the Dallas Cowboys. However, I do think the struggle is going to be on the Bills offensive line. In particular, you know, against that pass rush, Josh Allen's going to have to use his legs. He's going to have to buy time. He's going to probably have to be a part of the running game, whether it's designed or not, if they're going to be able to move the sticks and be successful in this matchup. So, uh, going back to the Kellen Moore question, like, do I think this could be a meat and potatoes game? Definitely, probably because I feel like that's your best chance. When you look at the pass defense for the Buffalo Bills, they're salty, man. And I think if you look at Tredavious White, most likely going to match up with a guy like Amari Cooper. So uh, then Dak Prescott's going to have to look for some other options in order to work the football down the field. Um, and, and I think that's very possible. But still, everything's going to be have to be is going to have to be based on the rushing attack and being able to find some productivity there. 
and maybe even Dak Prescott too as part of that rushing attack, especially considering what's on the line for the Dallas Cowboys. They can just not afford to give up any more games, even though they're still at the top spot of the NFC East. Mm. All right, so I've got Cowboys lean over. You're going to take the Bills, right, Brady? Unless he goes I'm, no, I, I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to take Dallas at this point. You said what? Is it down from seven? Six and a half. Okay. Uh, at that point, yeah, I'd take Dallas. I'd, I'd lay the six and a half, even though, again, I don't necessarily like it a ton, but I do think they can win by a touchdown. I actually would take the under, though, as far as um, between the over-under just total score. The unders typically hit on Thanksgiving, especially the lethargic, the later games. All that tryptophan, man. They're all right. eating that turkey before the game. They've all been sitting around watching Mitch Trubisky and David Blah play. Um, look at that. One and seven Dallas against the spread? What? That's crazy. Uh, and the under does hit in those Buffalo games. You can see for those trends. Ryan, who you got here against the spread officially? Uh, I got the Bills covering. Cowboys winning. Okay. Um, by the way, I'll point out that this game is the first game in my can't lose, lock it up, money line parlay of the week. So yes. we're going to that out there. Yes. And who do you like? You like Dallas or Buffalo? I'm going to take Dallas in the money line. Okay. All right. Uh, Dallas, we're going to have three three games involved. I don't want to spoil it. I'll tell you what the other two games are by the end of this podcast. Don't worry. If they lose this parlay, do they go from eating turkey to maybe spam? Is that what the substitute is? You know, for this parlay, if they lose out, uh, the the Cowboys or the no, the overall people who are taking your parlay advice will. (laughs) You lose this parlay, you don't buy Christmas presents. That's the end of the story. You're, You're eating spam. That's what you're eating. You're not having a Christmas ham or turkey or oysters in the Brinson household. You're having spam. Wrapping up a can of Spam and putting it underneath the tree and saying, Merry Christmas, honey. I hope you had fun. The Cowboys lost to the Bills on Thanksgiving, and I couldn't buy you a... Uh, Can't even afford firewood for the fire, okay? You're buying one of those Duraflame logs, okay? You get one shot at it. You light that thing up. Hopefully, it lasts for as long as you need it to. You're throwing a frozen turkey in the deep fryer and watching it explode in your face. Uncle um, Eddie's coming in with the RV. He's going to you know, re- you know, know, empty out his, his crap dispenser and then the sewer, okay? Don't worry about that, though. He's going to be there with the dicky on, ready to open gifts. Yeah, Cousin Eddie. By the way, the Cowboys minus 322. Um, Cowboys versus teams over 500 this season, 0-4. Yikes, that's not good. Dak Prescott has played well, though, but five, five touchdowns, six interceptions against teams that are over 500. To the next game. Saints at Falcons. Saints minus seven at the Falcons. Uh, I think the over under on this game has come down a lot. Is that a 48 and a half? It was 51 when it opened. Um, this is a revenge spot for the New Orleans Saints, Brady. They lost to the Falcons at home a few weeks ago. Refresh off Sean Payton's engagement. I'll never get engaged two days before you got to play football. That's silly. Or coach. It happens. Home. You know, sometimes people think football is a violent sport. There's some people who like to look at it as uh, one of passion and one of romance. That would be Sean Payton, the head coach of the New Orleans Saints. Yeah. Uh, what do you think about this game? Is this a prime? The Falcons I, came back. I, I, it's it's a prime time spot for the Falcons to give up a lot of points and a <laughs> lot of receptions to one guy who likes to make a lot of love to the football, and that's Michael Thomas. Okay, mm-hmm. this is a great spot for him. For him to kind of throw himself into that MVP conversation, which I do think he should get some love. What he's doing historic, every you know this year so far, you throw him the football, he's got like a ninety percent catch percentage or something ridiculous like that, and it's absurd because we talk about this sometimes with like teams when they're going up against I don't know the Carolina Panthers with Christian McCaffrey. 
What's the main objective on the defense? Hey, let's not let Christian McCaffrey ruin us. You want to know what you think when you play the Saints? You might be worried about Alvin Kamara and some of the other pieces. Maybe Taysom Hill, how are we going to prepare for him? Michael Thomas, all right? When Michael Thomas is singled up, when they move him around, wherever he is, especially on third down, red zone, a must-pass situation, they're going to be throwing the football to Michael Thomas, and teams still can't stop him. I can't get over how good he's been just from a route-running standpoint, contested catches, playing tough yards after the catch, his overall catch radius, and just his hands in general. He's a stud. He's an absolute stud. And I think this is where the, the Saints are going to atone for that previous loss, what, two weeks ago, uh, where you were shocked. I mean, I was shocked by Dan Quinn and the Falcons. Well, they have six sacks in that game. I mean, it just it didn't make any sense compared to, you know, how the Falcons had played all year long. So I think the Saints fix up their secure, you know, uh, protection issues, secure that up. I think Michael Thomas has a big game on Turkey Day in prime time, and the Saints continue to bide for that top spot in the NFC playoff picture. Yeah, I think the only way the Falcons have a chance in this game is if Dan Quinn starts moving around some some coaches into other positions because apparently that's the only way that team can play good football. Their season's over. Uh, they had a nice two-game run there that sort of had people surprised, probably Arthur Blank more than anyone else in terms of Dan Quinn's job security. I feel like they're going to be looking for a coach at some point uh, in the spring, and uh, this game is not going to help Dan Quinn's resume in terms of keeping his job. Look, I suppose the Saints could come in there and lay an egg, but – I just don't see it happening for a lot of the reasons Brady laid out. Drew Brees hasn't been super on fire hot, but he's been good enough. And I just feel like he keeps coming, um, as he keeps playing, coming back from the hand injury, he'll continue to get better. And this team will again make the case for being the, the second best team in, in the NFC. Yeah, I like the Saints in this spot too. Six, the, the fact that both the Cowboys and the Saints are six and a half is a little concerning to me because it's going to be, that's where everyone's, everyone's going to be on them, right? I mean, I think I would be, maybe people are on the Bills because their record's good. I think most of the money or most of the bets will be on the Saints and that's a little terrifying because they're on the road. We've seen them not cover. I wouldn't be surprised if the, if the Falcons manage to keep it close or manage to sneak in under the number. Here's what the two bets that I would rather do in this game. One, I like the under a lot. If you look at the games between these teams in November over the last uh, six years, I think, five and one to the under because the, the over is always priced up. Now, it's come down a lot. I still don't mind it under 48. Uh, two, you know, when you start to look at um, what, you know, how these teams approach it, I don't know that Atlanta is necessarily going to score a ton of points. So look at it, under four and one of their past five meetings. And as Breach pointed out, the late games, uh, he pointed out in the podcast, the late games on Thanksgiving typically trend towards the under just because, you know, heck, you had all that tryptophan, like Brady pointed out. So uh, I would like the under in this spot. Additionally, I like the Saints team total over at 28. I don't know if the Falcons are going to do their part to get the over. They didn't do it a couple of years ago. That's what worries me a little bit. So I would rather take the Saints team total over 28. I think Drew Brees, I think you're right, Brady. I think Michael Thomas has a big game. I think Drew Brees and company will get you to the four touchdowns you need. Um, now you're, you're, you're flirting with a, you know, if the Falcons put up, you know, 22 points, you're, you know, you're, you gotta, you got a middle there is what I'm saying. You can hit both of those and you just gotta hope the Falcons don't score a lot of points. Um, and then I'm also going to combine the Saints money line minus 312 with the Cowboys money line. That's two parts of the parlay. And then the first, the third part, because you're going to listen to a different podcast to find this out. You need to know it now. You can put it in, would be the Kansas City Chiefs, who I think are like right around 450, maybe 500. They're minus 10 against the Raiders. You can get those three 
and combine them in a money line parlay, and uh, that will pay out plus one. 12. Yeah, the Chiefs are minus 475. So I like that a lot. I think the Saints, Cowboys, and Chiefs all win fairly handily. And I like, uh, I like those odds because you're getting plus money. Anybody hate that parlay? Uh, don't hate that parlay. Uh, I think in this particular matchup, Saints, Falcons, uh, curious to see because you talked about just the team total for the Saints. I think they get there. And I think, that, you know, you said you liked the under earlier. And, and one thing that I think we've seen from Matt Ryan this year, he struggled. This has not been a good year for Matt Ryan. I know he hasn't had a lot of help out around him. But last week was just another indication versus the Tampa Bay Bucks of some of those struggles. And I do think there were some plays to be made there. Uh, and unfortunately it just didn't deliver. Matt Schaub did though when he came in. So, uh, maybe that, maybe that's where the backdoor, uh, over ends up hitting if Matt Schaub comes in and plays the way he did, at least in that short spot last week versus the Bucks. But, uh, bottom line is I like the parlay. I think you and your family will are getting more oysters. We're going to call it the, uh, the Brady Quinn spam special parlay of the year. How about that? <laughs> If right. it involves oysters, I'd be ex- more excited about it. All right. The, uh, Brady Quinn, uh, spam special sounds better than oysters. It does, it does. Yeah. The, the alliteration's there, but yeah. Okay. Matt Shaw, by the way, quite overwhelming in his, per- overwhelming in his performance. He did take the over. Good call, Brady. Bears minus three at Lions. Let's get through this one quickly and we'll get some college football. This game stinks. This game sucks. I'm sorry. I'm not saying it because it's on Fox and it's not on CBS and, you know, like I love Fox. Fox is great. They, uh, why, do you, praise- why do you do this? Why do you put me in these situations? I, know, but I, yeah. love Fox. I praise Fox's music guy all the time. He plays Fish. He plays Panic. I watch games on Fox. I think Joe Buck is underrated. I think Brady, when he does those little college football ca- uh, cowboy hat thing, dancing around, uh, I think that's great too. Look, you're going to do something crazy. You're, you know what? You're, you don't know it, but you're the, you're the Charlie Day of the group out there with Urban and all those guys. You're going to have to pick Michigan because Urban can't pick them. No, no, he can't. So yeah, you're gonna, I, why is Charlie dead? I don't know about that. I don't know if I can go that direction. I think I already did a preview in this podcast we did, and I think I just picked Ohio State by 10. So I can't really backtrack on that. Nobody's gonna, the internet will never call you out for being wrong or giving two different opinions. <laughs> 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 well, you were, you were the closest living thing to Charlie Day, Will. So I, I'm yeah. not really so sure, sure about that. <laughs> um, no, I know. Uh, Bears at Lions, Brady. Bears are minus three. It sounds like Jeff Driscoll is not going to play. Uh, the word on the gambling streets is that once it's officially announced, this game would probably move to Bears minus four. David, uh, David Blau? Yeah. Formerly David- out of Purdue. Really good kid. Really good kid. Can actually sling it a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. better athlete than you, you realize. Kind of small, but, uh, he can make all the throws. You know, he's a smart kid. Uh, played a good amount of football. Had a lot of respect, uh, for him during his time at Purdue. So, uh, you know, I, I'm not necessarily thinking that's going to give them a chance in this game. Uh, Mitch Trubisky maybe had a confidence builder game last week, but, uh, I'll, I'll let Ryan take this one more. I feel like I've talked too much on this podcast already. And, and to be quite honest with you, this isn't really a great matchup. So Ryan, I'll be got- honest. I had no, no idea David Blau was playing. I thought it was going to be a Jeff, a Jeff Driscoll, uh, extravaganza. So that just look, here's what I say now. Every time people listen to this podcast, know what I'm going to say when we talk about the Lions. It starts with Matt Patricia who I do not like very much as a coach. I don't think he's done a very good job. They started 2-0-1 this year after winning six games last year. They've lost seven of their last eight games. Who are you going to blame? You can blame uh, Quinn, the GM, and you can blame Matt Patricia. Because, Brinson, guess what happened the two years before Matt Patricia got fired? Uh, Jim Caldwell went 9-7. Back-to-back years. So here we are. So this team is not very good. There's no quick fixes. They got rid of Quandre Diggs. They tried to get rid of Darius Slay. What's the plan? 
It's a great question. I mean, it was one of the questions I was asking myself when I heard Darius Slay on the trading block in general. And once they got rid of Diggs, and, and this is weird because going back to last year, I got to cover the Lions. They were really high on him. And, you know, coming into the league, he kind of, to me at least, fit as like one of those safeties that could come down and play the slot. Or as a nickelback, he was a very good player. Uh, in fact, you know, quick story on that. So I'm, I'm, I've got this Texas, Texas Tech game. And this guy, Quandre Diggs, absolutely unloads on this backup quarterback who comes in for an injured Davis Webb. Do you guys know who that backup quarterback was at Texas Tech? Patrick Mahomes. It was. Literally lit up in one of his first starts, first burn time. He's playing for an injured Davis Webb. Patrick Mahomes comes in. Quandre Diggs comes off the slot as a zone rekeeper. He never saw him. Lights out. Next quarterback in, the one and only Vinny Testaverde Jr. Wow. How about that? We are depressingly uh, old. Yeah. Yeah. That makes you feel old, even though Vinny played till like he was 50. So anyway. Sure. Also, Point. like, I, uh, I mean, like, Latroy Hawkins, who's Patrick Mahomes' uh, godfather, you know, it's, I mean, much but, better, but the the point is this: What is the plan there in Detroit? Uh, I mean, are you moving on from Matt Stafford? Or are you not after this year? I mean, can you even make that decision? He's, he actually played pretty well this year when he was playing, and he's dealing with an injured back. That's two years in a row now. He had an injured back the end of last season. Um, offensively, they can't seem to keep on Johnson healthy. Both Scarborough's done a good job though in his spot work. So maybe you keep kind of riding him to see what you have in him. But defensively, they've really taken a step back, and that's where you wonder: like, you're getting rid of all these players. And at some point, is the defense going to improve or you're trying to move on from some of these players? I mean, it, it's just a little bit worrisome, the direction that the defense is going, considering that's supposed to be Matt Patricia's thing. Yeah, and, and by the way, uh, Chris Burke of The Athletic, a former co-worker of ours at the late great fan house, uh, pointed out on, on a, he basically did a breakdown, like, all right, let's take a look at the Dan, or the, excuse me, the, um, Matt Patricia, Bob Quinn regime and see how it's gone. And he pointed out that from you know, January 1st, 2018, Bob Quinn was basically like, nine and seven ain't going to cut it. You know, that's not good enough. It's like, well, then what is this? If nine and seven isn't good enough with a bad roster, then what is this? What are you doing, Lions? What are you just cycling through? Are you just like muddling through another cycle of mediocrity? I mean, cause you're getting, you're about to get blasted at home by the Bears on Thanksgiving. It's just getting old to watch. And I hope David. Blau can take care of business, but I don't think it's going to happen. I'll take the Bears minus three. I'll also take the under 39. They're not scoring points in this game. No, I agree. This is some three, seven and one BS to quote Jeff Fisher. I'm taking the Bears and the Bears straight up and against the spread. Brady? Bears, I'll lay the points, uh, under most likely, although I'm a little bit concerned that this actually could be a big performance for Trubisky. Maybe you get a couple turnovers from David Blau. Although, again, David Blau ain't scared. I think they actually may throw the football up a little bit, even though that goes against what Matt Patricia wants to do and how Bo Scarborough, how well he's run the football for them uh, since he's, he's gotten in a little bit of playing time. Okay. Let's take a quick break. and When we come back, we'll look at the 2020 NFL Draft. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. 
The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads ensure you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drives you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. Whether you're tailgating out in the dirt lot, Carter Finley, shout out Carter Finley, or whether you're whitewater rafting, taking the entire family on an adventurous trip, maybe you're out camping at Mount Rogers, I used to go as a kid, wish my parents had a Hyundai Santa Fe, the Hyundai Santa Fe is perfect for your family outing, learn more about the all new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com, call 562-314-4603 for complete details. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, we talked some turkey. Got you ready for the picks on Thanksgiving Day. Pete Prisco, R.G. White, and myself will have the picks for the rest of the week later on. I think that will drop on Friday, so look out for that. Of course, Thursday morning um, we'll have fantasy advice for Thanksgiving and the weekend to come up with uh, Heath Cummings. Maybe Brett McFadden? I'm not sure. We'll find out. Um, sometimes people show I, I I don't know. I'm terrible at this. So, uh, <laughs> at least you're honest. At least I'm honest. 2020 NFL draft. I started tweeting about it. You know where I got in on this idea? I was kind of down on Justin Herbert anyway, but Ryan Wilson, I read his mocks every week. He told me that, he told me that Justin Herbert's fading from the first round. I've been dropping him down. I was like, maybe I need to watch Herbert a little more closely. Watching him against Arizona State, I'm with him. I don't think he's a great prospect. Ryan, tell me why you're even further down on Justin Herbert now. Well, we talk about this every week, and it just seems like he's not living up to the expectations that we've had for him for two years now. He didn't have a great year as a junior. He came back. I thought that was the right decision. He's improved in terms of his completion percentage, but he still, and Brady can talk to this, he still makes the same sort of, Mind-numbing mistakes that you can't make every single week and expect to be a, a top-tier NFL quarterback. And you, I mean, he's six-six. He's two thirty-seven. The physical traits jump off the page at you. Thirty touchdowns, five interceptions. That's great. But he could have had three or four more interceptions against uh, against the Sun Devils in that Saturday night game. A couple passes were dropped. He had two terrible interceptions. And I just question his decision making at this point, Brady. And I don't know at this point in proceedings. He's in the eleventh hour of his college career. What's going to magically change between now and next August, September, where you can feel comfortable with him as as a starting NFL quarterback? All valid points. So let's try to add some more context to it. Um, uh, here's my feelings on him, though. He, regardless of what the stats or film looks like, he will be a first round pick because of his raw talent and ability. The 6'6", the 237, the athleticism, the arm strength, all those things. That's what's going to make him potentially a first round pick. And the other thing is, especially for you guys who are cold play fans, there's a song called Fix You. That is what NFL teams feel like they can do with a guy like Justin Herbert. They feel like they're going to be able to bring him in and fix you. That's what, that's what they're going to think they can do with him. Okay. 
Here's the issue. When you go back and look at the Arizona State game from this past week, and we've got a number of plays we can talk through, there's some things that are fixable, and there's some things that aren't. And I think the first thing I would just point out and say, I don't like this Oregon offense. I don't think it's very conducive for Justin Herbert. But right here, this is about processing. Say we took that extra hitch, and then he airmails it outside. You know, unfortunately, they're they're on the near hash. And so when you go, if we can go back to the previous play, I thought we had on a loop. Maybe we're just running through all three at this point. But anyways, what I'm trying to point out is anytime he has to get off that first read, it becomes then difficult for him working to his second, third read. So the first missed throw, not only are they on the near hash, which they need to you know move off of and be on something else, but you see that often throughout his reads. When he has to go to his second, third read, he has a hard time doing that. Then you see errant throws on short routes like a hitch or a wide receiver screen, throws that really should be gimmies and layups. And then you see times like this one, a go route versus 10 yards off coverage on, you know, second and 10, where you've got an easy completion up top to his tight end who's running with a bunch of cushion. And then finally this throw again, air mailing another corner route or a sail route, depending on what your offense is. His feet were actually set up to throw the post and instead he ends up throwing the, the sail route or seven route, depending on the system that you're in. And so those things, as far as his footwork and where his eyes are and what he's doing, those are all fixable. They can be drilled. They can help him. The problem is, like this throw right here, you see a dime, you see a nice go route, and then the next throw, he ends up throwing one into the ground. Those inconsistencies in his throwing motion throughout the course of the game, it's one of the reasons why last year when I was preparing for their bowl game versus Michigan State, I was floored why people thought he was going to be the first overall quarterback taken. There were just too many things that he lacked in this game and too many things that are kind of too easy. You know, for example, the hitch that he just threw into the ground. He has a running back fake with that. He doesn't need to show a flash fake, right? It's not fooling anyone. That that hitch route, it needs to be out on time. That's what's most important. There's other times, too, throughout the course of these clips, you'll see him kind of give a flash fake, then drop back and try to throw a timing route. The running back has the linebacker in, in blitz protection. And at the NFL level, you don't even make that fake. You know, they call it a proximity fake, meaning the running back just being close to you is enough to suck those guys up at the second level because that running back's got responsibility for the linebacker anyway. And so there's all these little things where he's played enough football, he should kind of know better, and he should know, you know, how he needs to, to adjust his drops, how he needs to get the ball out on time, and he just doesn't do it. So that's the concern for me. He has all the raw talent and ability. But he just doesn't do it consistently enough. And at this point, he's played so much football that I have a hard time thinking that someone's going to be able to take him in the NFL and be able to fix him. I think the biggest thing they need to do is put him in a system where he can run the football uh, because he is athletic enough. And I do think he's a pretty decent runner when he decides to take off, which isn't very often. And then put in a lot of one read and run progressions for him or, or take some of the decision making, you know, out of, you know, for example, one high, two high reads where you're reading one side of the field versus one. The other side of the field versus the other. Take all that out of it. Just give him pure progression reads where he's going to go one, two, three, four, five. Simplify things for him. Allow him to use some of that athleticism, that big arm to take some shots downfield. He's going to have to find himself in a good situation, I think, if he's going to have success at the next level. So, Brody, you mentioned Fix You and Coldplay. The other side of that coin is that's sort of the toxic relationship when you're trying to convince yourself that your girlfriend isn't crazy and you're going to make it work no matter what. And then you both end up at the, in a car at the bottom of a lake and things didn't turn out so well. Uh, so I'm not speaking from experience. I've just heard that story. Uh, 
But let me ask you this, uh, broader terms. So you talk about simplifying things for Justin Herbert. How does that translate in terms of being a, a franchise quarterback? Because if you don't understand what you're supposed to be doing on a play-by-play basis, and I'm not saying Justin Herbert isn't smart by all accounts. He's an incredible human being and, and does really well in school and all that. But on the football field, what what's the like? What kind of coaching do you have to have? What kind of system do you need to be in to have any sort of success at the next level if you're going to be a day one, day two pick? So uh, I guess I'll answer that question by saying this: you know, being book smart and, and street smart and all that and stuff. That there's really no correlation to on the field. You know, your ability for recall to to take from what you saw on film and then apply it on the field. You know, that takes a certain type of intelligence. Understanding and memorizing a playbook takes a certain type of intelligence. Um, but we've also seen guys who aren't necessarily great at school be able to do that and guys who are great at school not be able to do that, right? Uh, I mean, Ryan Fitzpatrick went to Harvard. The knock on Ryan Fitzpatrick is always throws too many interceptions. Interceptions a, long, a lot of times come down to decision-making. So now that's not really an issue for Justin Herbert. He actually tends to be a pretty good decision-maker uh, in regards to his touchdown-interception ratio and not forcing things. But the question that you're asking is how do you simplify an offense for a franchise quarterback? You just try to take things off of his plate. So as far as the protection scheme goes, let the center handle it. If he wants to override in certain scenarios, let him override. Otherwise, it's going to be pretty simple for the most part. You're going to have some gap schemes. You're going to have, um, you know, some other, you know, like not many, you know, probably man blocking schemes. And, and, and the problem with that is, is you then get schemed up. You know, people can kind of figure out who the offensive line is responsible for, who the running back's responsible for, and that's where they, they put a guy up in the line of scrimmage, they end up dropping that guy out, and they bring a guy on the other side, and there lies a free rusher on you when you really have enough to block that guy. So um, some of those things like you'll try to simplify, but then you have to worry about getting out-schemed. And when you get out-schemed, what you have to be able to combat that with is your quarterback's ability to improvise. That's where I'm at a crossroads with him because this offense is one in which – they really want to run the football. That's Mario Cristobal's kind of blueprint stable. He's an offensive line guy. They've got a great offensive line, and they do have a good rushing attack. But they should involve Justin Herbert as part of that rushing attack, and they don't. So it takes away some of that big play potential, in my mind, from them. And and I think whoever would have him next needs to run him. They need to incorporate him as part of that. Um, you know, So you have some zone read schemes. You have some design quarterback runs. He's big. He's fast. He can take it. Trust me on that. The next thing is talking about the reads. You know, when you take out the variations of different types of reads, like having a big alert with a progression or having one high, two high. Some, some teams call that a pre-snap look. When you take all that stuff out and you just go with a progression read, it doesn't make it quite as difficult. The game kind of slows down because your eyes and your feet and your body are turning in a direction regardless of whether or not well, what the coverage is, whether or not he's open. And then you can work through the progression because everything's kind of worked in through timing. So there's some things you can do schematically to simplify it. And it may sound like a bad signal early on for your quarterback, but it's really just seeing if he's going to be capable. And that's the tough part about taking him in the first round is you're going to potentially have him for five years, and it's plenty of time to develop him. But that would basically mean some of this stuff is he's not actually playing. You've got him sitting on the bench. And we all know that if he's a first-round draft pick, he's probably going to play at some point in time his rookie year, whether he's ready or not, especially if he goes to a bad team. Mm, indeed. All right. Uh, I would implore, maybe not implore, but like suggest – that uh, everybody who enjoyed the Justin Herbert conversation, go check us out on YouTube, youtube.com slash CBS Sports. We have the clips, you know, of Justin Herbert and Brady breaking down the throws. Sure, Devo didn't do a great job of, of setting up for Brady. Brady he got wanted... him, though. He got him, man. That's all that matters. He got the tapes. It's tough to get. No, Devo went out and got all the Herbert throws and, like, cut them up and put them on video for you. It's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Hey, Brenton. Yeah. I want to I ask Brady quickly, and Brenton, you can ask this, answer this as well. Is Justin Herbert, would you take him in the first round? No. 
I think someone's going to. Um, I, I'd like to go back and watch more before I make that sort of declaration. And I also think the team that you're on really matters. Like it's, it's not just to me, uh, a yes or no question to answer. You know, I, I do think your situation that he's entering into plays a factor. And, it, you know, let's say, for example, the Chargers want to take him. And if you do sign Philip Rivers back for another year or two, that's like a pretty good situation to take him in because he can learn and develop behind him. And you, you've got a situation where he can kind of mold into that. I, you know, you take him at the Bengals, that's a recipe for disaster. <laughs> Bengals are generally a recipe for disaster. Yeah, I, I, that's, that's a fair, that's a fair breakdown. I would, I guess the thing is too, like if you're going to take somebody in the first round, if you're going to take a quarterback, you should probably take him in the first round because you get the fifth year option. And that way it gives you a little additional evaluation time. But you know what? If you think the quarterback's good, you're probably going to sign him after three years anyway and then get stuck with his contract a la Jared Goff. Anyway, make sure to check it out on YouTube, youtube.com slash CBS Sports. It's rivalry weekend in college football. Auburn, Alabama has to be on CBS, right? It is, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, just making sure. Make sure to watch that on SEC Live. Go to cbsports.com slash SEC and you can watch it. I mean, I assumed it was, but, you know, sometimes you don't know. I don't really want to look till Saturday to see, to find out. Who are you looking for, Ryan, playing this weekend? Um, that we know there's a ton of guys in Ohio State, Michigan. Uh, we've been over all those guys. Chase Young, um, J.K. Dobbins, of course, Nico Collins. What about, uh, Clemson, South Carolina? Who stands out to you in that game? Uh, three guys who could potentially be first round picks. Travis Etienne is the running back. He may go day two, but he is a, certainly top running back this year. T. Higgins, high point catcher, big radius catcher, and Isaiah Simmons, who might be the best prospect on this team. He was one of the best defensive players on that team last year. They had three first round picks on the defensive line. He plays linebacker slash safety hybrid. Uh, he actually plays free safety sometimes, and he's an absolute monster. So I love him. Javon Kinlaw is a defensive tackle for the, uh, for South Carolina. He's one of the best pass-rushing defensive tackles in the league, so he could certainly work his way into the first round. And then Brian Edwards, uh, I think he's number 87. If you want to watch Brian Edwards and just get a sense for who he is, watch the Alabama game. He is a monster. He just trucks guys. He's great at catching the ball in traffic. He's a lot of fun. Uh, so those are a bunch of guys that could get drafted, most of them, by the way, in the first round. Mm. Uh, you drafting – do you think that's a – you think Clemson wins by 30 in that game, Brady? Yes, I do. I think Clemson – I think I actually had to <clears throat> throw in a score for that game. Last time I checked, the spread it was like twenty seven ish, or is it thirty now? No, no, no. I, it, it started at like twenty five, and it quickly has moved okay. up to like seven. Yeah, yeah. I, I forget what, exactly what I threw in as far as the, uh, the the point total, but I think I had him just covering that twenty seven, maybe like a um, what did I say? I think I said maybe like forty two, fourteen, something like that. That's kind of how a- I see that game going. Hey, look, Clemson has to win, and they has to win convincingly. Because I think they're hoping that potentially they'll be able to continue to keep inching their way up into the top two spots. Uh, however, uh, it might be tough, though, because they have that lack of strength of schedule, and they're going to play a team in the uh, ACC championship game that's not going to be ranked most likely. So there's not really much they can do for their case. Yeah, I think either Virginia or Virginia Tech. Uh, what about an Alabama-Auburn on CBS? Who are you watching, Brady? Well, there's seven guys in Ryan Wilson's mock draft in the first round. Ryan, do you want to go through all those guys, and then I'll maybe touch on a couple of the Auburn guys? 
Yeah, let me see. I don't have the mock draft, but I have the names. I had 11 guys to watch. That's not including Tua. Tua wasn't in the mock draft. So Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, we know about. Alex Leatherwood and Jedrick Wills are the offensive tackles that are likely first-rounders. Trevon Diggs is uh, Stephon Diggs' brother. He plays cornerback. He is a monster. Terrell Lewis, who's been injured the last two years, the defensive end, is playing out of his mind this year. He's finally healthy. A uh, guy that I don't think was on the list for first-rounders, but could be Xavier McKinney, the safety. Raekwon Davis, the defensive tackle. I mean, the list goes on and on. I haven't even talked about Auburn yet, Brady. Yeah, look, Auburn's got a bunch of guys up front on their defensive line. Um, in particular, is a Derek Brown. I mean, he's, he may, he may very well be, you know, one of the first guys you look at taking, but, uh, he's the guy who's gonna kinda, gonna stand out the most, I think, on their defensive front. Uh, as far as their offense goes, um, I'm trying to think through some of the names. I mean, there's not nearly anything that sticks out quite as much as what Alabama has, especially as far as draft eligible guys and guys who've proven themselves thus far, but really it's the defensive front for Auburn. Like, that's the eye to keep an eye on. There's, there's a number of guys, Brown in particular. Yeah, and you can't yeah, miss defense. him. Huge, and he's number five. You know, all those big boys wear single digits there at Auburn for some reason, which makes them look even bigger than they actually are. Uh, Auburn's left tackle, Brady Prince Tega Wanago. He's a right. guy who people like the beginning of the year. He's super raw. He probably is not a day one guy right now, but he could certainly be day two just for the, uh, the upside productivity. All right, what about in Oklahoma? What about Bedlam? Bedlam, Ryan, Oklahoma OSU. C.D. Lamb, of course, they missed that game. Maybe you question his toughness, as Brady pointed out recently. Uh, Chuba, love oh, Chuba. Easy, easy. I think I think they actually were, were confirming it was a concussion. I don't know that anyone tested his toughness. I think we were more concerned about what the uh, what the deal was, if it was disciplinary and, or if it was something like the concussion protocol. But yeah, Sorry, I didn't mean that's that's on me. I didn't I didn't mean to put words in Brady's mouth. Uh, <laughs> didn't say that. In fact, you know, it was Pete Prisco who did that. Um, okay. <laughs> Okay. Uh, you know who else I love in this year? In this yeah. game? Chuba. Yeah. Chuba Harper. He's fine. Yeah. Sucks that Tylen Wallace is out too. He was a good wide receiver. Yeah. He's an, yeah, this, this wide receiver class, by the way. I mean, you're talking about CeeDee Lamb, Tylen Wallace. It stinks that he's not part of it, but, uh, they are so deep, man. I mean, there are so many guys, so many studs in this draft class. Uh, this game would have had two of arguably the best. I mean, you could have made the case that Tylen Wallace is right up there as far as production, but, Hubbard's been phenomenal. He's a guy that I think if I had to do a Heisman race right now, he'd be probably number four for me behind wow. Justin Fields. I mean, it, it's remarkable what he's putting up, and he's not getting anyone talking about it right now. So um, people, you know, for example, last year, Justice Hill, who uh, very similar skill set, both can run the football, catch the football well. For whatever reason, Oklahoma State didn't use him quite as much in the passing game. They started to a little bit more last week. So uh, it, it's something that I think they're going to have to continue to provide help for Drew Brown. Their starter, Spencer Sanders, is out for the rest of the season. So, um, you know, look, he's – Justice Hill actually said this to him. I remember talking to him um, that the guy who was going to replace me said he's probably going to be better than I am. Uh, so he, you know, already had said that about Chuba, and, and he very well looks like a bigger, better version of Justice Hill in this Oklahoma State offense. By the way, last week, oh no, two weeks here, I guess, was Oklahoma State, Kansas, Chuba versus Puka. What a, what a matchup running back names and talents too. Um, anybody else you want to touch on before we get out of here, Ryan? Uh, just one name to watch in Ohio State. We haven't talked a lot about this guy. I don't know if we ever have, but Devon Hamilton, I think he's number 53, plays defense yep. attack for Ohio State. He's going to be a second round pick. He is awesome. I watched him uh, a couple games earlier than I watched the, the game last week, uh, the Ohio State Penn State game. He is so much fun to watch. Maybe he's living off Chase Young. I don't think he is. He's doing a lot of the heavy lifting by himself. And uh, if you're looking for someone to watch next to Chase Young, look for number 53, uh, Devon Hamilton. Only thing I'm worried about with him is his size. Uh, not quite as big. He does have good quicks, good fire off the ball, plays with good leverage, good hands. 
Um, and, and I don't know. It, that's the tough thing to tell. I mean, especially when you see these talented defensive lines. We've seen it at Clemson. We saw it at NC State. Will, you know about that group. All four of those guys got drafted, what was it, a few years ago now? Uh, in the first, yep. what, three or four rounds of the draft. Uh, that's the predicament. <laughs> You're sitting there saying, well, is he doing it or is it Chase Young and everyone's sliding their line or, protecting things up to give him help but no doubt about it ryan he's been phenomenal uh damon arnett i don't know how much you guys talked about him he's been a part of that too uh fuller i mean you could go on down the line uh, talking with urban meyer he really feels like probably outside of tough borland every other player or every single player both offensively and defensively is going to get drafted that that's how confident he feels in all of these guys uh, that are starting right now for ohio state and, and how talented this team is hey uh quickly we'll get out of here one word answer because mine is Clemson. Who's going to win, if you had to pick right now, the national title? Ohio State. I'm going. Look, man, I'm going to give you a bunch of word answers. Joe Burrow, baby, LSU, Clady H. That's my new nickname for Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, Clady H. This, is, this, playoff, this playoff has potential to be awesome. It does, but the only – the difficulty is whoever ends up being two – kind of gets screwed because you got to play Clemson. So that semifinal, that path to get to the national championship game ends up being so much more difficult, in my opinion, than most likely what the number one seed is going to end up facing as the four seed. And so because of that, I, I think there is an extreme advantage to whoever the college football playoff committee puts a number one because no one wants to face Clemson. That's a team that's beaten everyone this year easily and really hasn't been tested in, in, through the ACC that's so weak this year. Will, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I do, I do. <laughs> I made a lot of money on Clemson against NC State. Uh, the only game that was close with Clemson, uh, the Carolina. That's right. Yeah. When Mac made the mistake of going for two at the end. What, uh, who's the fourth team in? Who's the fourth team in with, uh, I think it's Georgia. Well, they can't be if, um, unless they beat LSU and then LSU would drop probably to number four and still make it. That's the only way. Cause if they lose in the SEC championship game, they're out. So your, your basic, basically you have, you know, these three teams to pick from Bama, where if they beat Auburn, and, you know, remain in that, around that five spot or the potential of sliding in, uh, if Georgia loses to LSU, you just kind of wonder how the committee's going to look at them with Mac Jones, not Tua Tonga-Vailoa. Not sure they get in over a one-loss Utah conference champ or Oklahoma. Don't give up on Oklahoma. I'm just saying they'll be more tested by the time they would get to that point. Beating a top 25 team in Oklahoma State this week, and they would have to beat Baylor again in the Big 12 championship game. Another team that's probably going to be ranked somewhere in the top 12, uh, based on tonight's rankings, even though this is, we're talking about tomorrow. So they'll have a better resume, a better case, and you could maybe make the case more deserving, even though Utah looks like the more complete team and as well deserving being a conference champion in this particular scenario. So we'd be looking at, and I, look, I, I think any, one of those things could happen. We'd be looking at LSU versus Oklahoma where the over under is like 70, 70 78 and I'll take the over. Yeah. They're not, yeah, <laughs> Oklahoma can't stop anybody. You know what though? I think actually that LSU would line up favorably versus Oklahoma. That, that offense has not looked the same lately. And that's probably one of the reasons why if they don't make it in the fourth spot after, you know, winning out the rest of the way, it would be because their defense hasn't fixed their issues and their offense just hasn't looked quite as dynamic as what we were accustomed to seeing with Kyler and Baker Mayfield. Honestly, they're kind of a victim of their own demise because, you know, they were, they've been so good offensively that they held themselves to a standard and they just haven't necessarily been that the past couple of weeks. I mean, Jalen Hurts is really good, but he's not Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray. Like it's, you know, he, well, statistically, been... you could, you were, you were, they were on pace to make an argument. They were actually better. They, they, they set the record last year for yards per play at like 8.6 yards per play. This year they were on pace, this is like a couple weeks ago now, for 9.29.
Think about that. Every time they would run an offensive play, it was basically a first down. Yeah, yeah it's, it's absurd. Uh, all right, we gotta get out of here. Gotta go do sports line. The only reason I wear a college shirt for this shindig. You can watch us at youtube.com slash CBS Sports. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. Follow Brady Quinn at Brady underscore Quinn. Follow Ryan Wilson at Ryan Wilson CBS. Talk to you guys next week. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Turkey Day.